0: The foundation of this fear is the fear of judgment. I mean, in the in the research I've done in my own, you know, in my shows and my workshops and things, it reflects what the greater re- world of research shows around the, the fear of public speaking is we just really, as human beings, we fear rejection, we fear judgment. I think we fear ourselves a little bit, like where do I fit in? We all want a sense of belonging. We don't want to think that we're the only ones.
1: On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Taylor Williams, founder, creative director, and lead facilitator of Guts & Glory Creative Consulting, and now published author. We'll learn why people are so afraid of public speaking and the power of public speaking as a connecting tool. We'll also learn about the challenges Taylor faced along her journey and how careers in sports and improv gave her just the tools and confidence she needed to succeed. We'll then follow Taylor's journey to how this ultimately led her to publishing her new book, Beyond the Words. Check it out. Welcome to the second season of The Creator Community. This is a new podcast series from Book Publisher, New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Forward Advisory Solutions. The show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,000 published authors. In this show, we get to know the authors and their books, as well as give you a behind-the-scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from idea to being available to wherever you buy books online. It's no easy task. Today, I have with me Taylor Williams, author of Beyond the Words, How to Conquer Your Fear of Public Speaking and Confidently Present Yourself to the World. Taylor is an experienced speaker, teacher, and performer with a BA in business and a master's in education and education specialist degree in mental health. As the lead facilitator of Guts & Glory Creative Consulting and creative director of Guts & Glory GNV. Williams produces live storytelling shows while using story, improv, and communications training to help teams and companies build positive culture. William Williams also works as an adjunct lecturer and curriculum designer at the University of Florida, where she teaches courses in innovation, communication, and branding. Taylor's book has a late summer twenty twenty one target date for publishing and will be available wherever you buy books online. Taylor, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So fun to have you here. Uh, you know, before we get into the book, Taylor, it's always fun, I think, to learn a little bit about the author and what your background and career. Could you share with us a little bit about that?
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I um, I have fun sharing this story in hopes that it helps listeners or readers kind of uh, understand the book, but also understand me and maybe even themselves a little bit better. So I'll start with kind of a story introduction about that. Um, so I grew up in Gainesville, Florida. And where I'm currently living and I'm teaching at the University of Florida, which is in Gainesville. Um, And uh, I loved growing up here, but one of the dreams that I had was to become a Florida Gator as an athlete, as a student athlete. So I was an athlete for a lot of my young life and um, wanted to be uh, on on the Florida Gators volleyball team. And so uh, I played sports here in Gainesville and was lucky enough to Um, be recruited um, by a a bunch of different schools all over the country. It was like a really fun time. I loved my teammates in high school. I loved being an athlete. My identity was deeply embedded in being an athlete. My dad was my coach. My mom was my biggest fan, you know, all of those things. Um, And, but I had not yet gotten an offer from Florida. So I was a day away of committing to be a UCLA Bruin and the Gators came and offered me a scholarship to play in my beloved hometown. And I took it on the spot without talking to my family, without really thinking about it much. I just knew I wanted to be a Gator. And so before I knew it, I was getting the chance to play here in Gainesville in front of my friends and family and people I had known for my entire life. And as exciting as that was, I um, it was also really nerve-wracking. And um, I was redshirted. I wasn't strong enough and fast enough to play at the collegiate level yet. And then after being redshirted for a year, I got some really bad injuries and um, and it, it basically sidelined me and I never ended up playing that much. Um, and while the physical recovery was hard, John, the reason I mentioned this is because of how it affected my identity, um, how it affected my voice, how I spoke up for myself or, or didn't. <laughs> Um, How I understood myself as a person living in the world, you know, I had, like I mentioned before, my identity was deeply embedded in being an athlete. That's kind of the pedestal that I was on and, uh, you know, my vantage point for the world and really how I presented myself to the world. But when that athlete identity was stripped away from me, Um, I had to think about who I was without athletics and without um, and with feeling, honestly, uh, a sense of embarrassment or shame that things did not go like I wanted them to go as a Florida Gator volleyball player, you know. Um, but the cool thing is, John, is it 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 led me to what I'm doing now. Um, I ended up, you know, using my red shirt year to actually go to grad school. I started going to uh, I started studying mental health because of my own change in my identity, but also wanting to help women and other female athletes kind of find their voice and their way after they were done with the world of athletics. I mean, really a reflection of my own experience, right? And kind of this, upheaval of my identity and my voice and as any you know as anyone with two master's degrees in mental health would do john after that i moved to new york and started doing improv comedy (laughs) very (laughs) linear move right
1: very clear next choice
0: right exactly my parents were thrilled and um and so, but the reason I did this is because again, I went to New York. It had always been a dream um, to live in New York, and I moved there thinking that I would start a private practice and I would I would start helping people right away. And I was like full of this energy to do that. But it turns out that starting a pra- practice in Manhattan isn't exactly like the quickest or easiest thing to do. So I fell into comedy. And um, and it was there that I really saw a lot of things um, coming together for me for the world of athletics, for my business undergrad degree, and even in mental health that I, had, um, that I had studied in grad school that I was seeing play out in the world of performance and performative art and comedy and just drawing from all the different uh, places in life that, that we all know, like emotion, relationship. Um, having to be up in front of people like in performance, right? or being an athlete or pitching in a business meeting or whatever it is. It was all coming together. And so, even though this was a weird, nonlinear path for me, John, it has it has created the world that I live in now where I get to help people find their voice, um decide how they want to present themselves to the world and redefine their identity and how and how they express themselves so all of that to say (laughs) that really helps to to define who I am but also why I think this work is so important and that's ultimately what led to me writing this book
1: (laughs) it it sounds to me like all of your work was really you you were your first client is that a fair statement oh what a cool
0: thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) what a great way to think about it I was my first client yeah it had to be real to me right I love that yes
1: I once read an article about a very successful person and they were successful in their business for 20 years. And they looked out and said, you know, gosh, I've like got 20 years left in me. And they said, the first person I have to fix and help is myself to get to that next 20 wow. years. I, I found that fascinating. Actually, the way he framed it was the first person I had to fire was my old self because wow. 20 years wasn't going to get me to the next 20. I thought that was a pretty neat way to look about it. I so, love that. Uh, You know, so this identity idea, the sports, competitive, having, but then having that stripped away by injuries, which of course, how can you ever predict injuries, right? So just the rug gets pulled out from under you. Yet if it sort of forced you to go in this new direction, you chose education, which is awesome. But I'm curious where this improv concept came from. Where did that uh, wiggle its way into your life?
0: Sure. Well, I talk about this in the book, John, too. But honestly, like a part of my story that I don't share as much, maybe because it feels a little bit, funny or embarrassing or something is that when I first got to New York, I was also doing um, some fitness modeling. And before you think that I am doing a humble brag, I can assure you that I'm setting myself up for my demise. So when I mention this, (laughs) it's to say that I absolutely crash and burn failed at this when I was living in New York. So coming off of um, playing collegiate athletics, it seemed like a natural fit. But I ended up just being terrible at it um, for the most part. I I had a little success here and there, but um, I just couldn't hack it. And it was very uncomfortable for me. But what I discovered through failing as a model was that I really should have been doing comedy. And so I I started a friend, you know, a, a, a friend recommended that I start taking improv Um, And I started at Upright Citizens Brigade and fell in love like in the first 10 minutes. I mean, it was kind of one of those moments we all have at some point where it's like, where has this been all my life? You know, And, and, and comedy was just such an outlet for me. And I found that I was more playful than I had been in a long time. And my creativity and my love for performing and working with others just like found its home.
1: That's amazing. And uh, did you take a class? Like, how do you get ready to do improv? That sounds really intimidating. Yes.
0: Yeah. So I went all the way through the Upright Citizens Brigade in, in New York, all the way through their training program. Um, I took a bunch of like specialty classes. I was performing with indie teams around New York. Um, I also uh, started doing TV commercials and I had total beginner's luck With that, but I had some success with um, TV commercials. I was in a Campbell soup commercial that I can't find the YouTube link to anymore, which is probably better for everyone. Um, I'm gonna have to uh, Google that today now. (laughs) No, please don't, Um, or or don't let me know if you find it. But uh, but yeah, but so I it so I started through these classes and doing on camera. you know, TV commercial classes and things like that. And it it was a blast because it was like everything came together, like being able to create something out of nothing, being able to commit to working with other people and releasing your agenda, being able to find your own voice without judgment and fear and make choices on stage on a whim. I mean, those are all very scary things, but they're also a part of being human.
1: And I find there's a really interesting thread here. I'm hearing, which is right. I think all of these things tie to public speaking, being an athlete, performing. Right when you're an athlete, you're performing yes. in front of audiences, right? And, and certainly improv. Right. I think there's right. a really interesting through line there yeah. in, in your journey, if you will.
0: So, let's, yeah, thank you for seeing that. Yeah, I agree. That,
1: <laughs> that, it, it's it's fascinating to me. And so, thinking about that journey, how did all of this lead you to to writing this book? What was your what was your author journey like?
0: Yeah. great. How did you get there? Right, right. So I, um, gosh, within the last two years, I sort of made a big goal for myself. Um, I was really happy with what I was doing, you know, being able to teach and work with students that I love at UF, um, doing some private coaching, corporate workshops, things like that. But I felt like there was something I needed, something else I needed to do for my own personal development. You know, like, what's the next thing? Is it going to be a certification program, a degree? Is it going to be just waiting and learning? What do I want to do? And so I made a goal for myself to try to position myself to give a TED Talk of some kind um, and or to write a book, both sort of lofty goals. And I had, had bits and pieces of a book lying around like many of us do in journals and journals and Google Docs and You know, uh, smoke signals and wherever I could put ideas for a book, right? But they were all sort of, none of it was coming together. Um, And so I actually met an author, Morgan Whiter, um, who is in a previous cohort of this program, um, when we were both speakers at at a local event. Um, And she lives in Atlanta, but I met her here in Gainesville, and I was blown away by her. We kept in touch. This was during the period I had set these goals for myself about a TED Talk and a book. Um, and I and I was so inspired by Morgan and her work and her heart and her spirit and all the things. And she published a book. And so I asked her, you know, how did you do this? this is huge. I, I followed her author journey. And she called me one day and said, "Look, I know about your goals. You can't hide from me. <laughs> I will keep you accountable. Um, and I can't make you give a TED talk, but I can make you sign up for this book program. And a new one is starting in." five days or something. And before I knew it, I was on the phone with Eric Custer having this conversation about uh, this program. And I was like writing a book in three days. Um, The other cool part of this, John, is that around that same time, I serendipitously did get the chance to get a give a TEDxUF talk um, that was kind of sidelined for a while by the pandemic. But the beautiful thing was, is through writing this, working on the beginning of the book, it gave me insight into what I wanted to write about in this TEDxUF talk. And now I am kind of amazed and uh, to say that I was able to do both of those things in the last two years. Um, I did give that TEDxUF talk, and now I'm publishing this book. I don't say that to be gross, but just to say that I'm really grateful that an otherwise extremely messy last two years in the world has given me uh, the gift and the space to do this work and kind of meet those personal goals for myself.
1: I'm hearing, again, some really interesting themes to me, which are, one, having goals, setting them. Sure. And trying to find a way to get to them. And sometimes it takes, you know, inspiration can come in a number of forms. In this case, sounds like Morgan uh, wider, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but just having those goals, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, uh, particularly as a leadership leader and leadership coach, is, you know, if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit it. Right. And
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> and if, nice. if it's something, you know, your chances are pretty good you might get there. So uh, I love that. So, You're tying all of these ideas together with improv, with sports, with your educational background. And now this book, like where did, how did public speaking come into this? Like, obviously that's a key part to your book. You know, why, why public speaking? Why was that your key theme here?
0: Right. So I think in all of these spaces where I was performing or on different stages, I use that in quotes, you know, um, along my life is. I just discovered more and more how terrified people are of public speaking, John. Like it is a debilitating fear for a lot of people. Um, and as a, a lot of us know, I mean, the rankings, you know, research shows that people rank their fear of public speaking right up there with the fear of death. And if that doesn't say it, I don't know what does. You know, Jerry Seinfeld famously said, <laughs> you'd rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. I mean, that's just <laughs> awful, you know. So But so I was experiencing people, whether it was in improv, live storytelling, giving a presentation at work, or my students even, you know, suffering as I asked them to introduce themselves on the first day of class. I mean, I was just seeing all of this fear and I feel very fortunate that I wasn't, I don't have as much of that fear in me innately. So I thought this was maybe a chance to give back and to write about some of the ways that I feel comfortable on stage. How I got over some of those perceived failures and and you know uh, huge shifts in my identity, knowing that there were other people out there who were experiencing those same things, and so you know I think we've talked about this before, John, in our conversations. But you know, Beekner said that a vocation is where you know your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need and this could be one of those things for me where it's like okay i love this stuff other people hate this stuff <laughs> public speaking being this stuff um maybe i can be helpful there and so that's what this that's what the subject of public speaking was born out of and i think it's a lot deeper than people believe it is it's not just speaking in front of a crowd of strangers
1: it is amazing that just the simplest things, like, as you said, standing up in class and saying, hi, you know, my name's John, I'm new to Florida, great to be right. here, or whatever, like how hard that is for people to say those 10 words out loud in front of a group. And you recognize that and then, just, you know, saw these patterns all over, throughout your life where people are struggling with this and, and want to come up with a solution. But, you know, yeah. let's stay with this fear thing for a minute. You know, why is that fear so pervasive? Why do we all fear it so much? Why would we rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy?
0: <laughs> let's explore that, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, John, I think you know, the foundation of this fear is the fear of judgment. I mean, in the in the research I've done in my own, you know, in my shows and my workshops and things, it reflects what the greater re- world of research shows around the the fear of public speaking is we just really as human beings, we fear rejection, we fear judgment. I think we fear ourselves a little bit, like, where do I fit in? We all want a sense of belonging. We don't want to think that we're the only ones, right? And so I think this fear lies somewhere in there. And I I think we also don't give public speaking enough credit for what it is. So one of the things I ask readers to do in the book is to broaden their lens of what public speaking is and can be. So I try to say, hey, public speaking is not only, you know, presenting a PowerPoint deck that you've spent tons of hours on, you know, and present it to a huge group of strangers. It can be that, but it is raising your hand and giving an answer in class. It is standing up and introducing yourself to a new group of friends for the first time. It is going on a first date. It's you know making a pitch in uh to your colleagues that you know and and love hopefully um you know it's it's the things that we do every day that are more based in our presentation of ourselves to the world and that is that scary stuff you know
1: there's so much judgment in the world right and we go around wondering what people think about us and so many times i i think we often get in our own heads about it right and, when, oh, yeah. and it's not even reality what's happening inside the other person's that's head right. but we we create this image for ourselves and and as we've think we've learned here you know it can be debilitating that's really fascinating right um, and so it sounds like you know one of the themes you talk about in the book is this idea of connecting and public speaking as mm-hmm. a connecting tool or resource mm-hmm. you know you know why, why why is that why do you emphasize public speaking as this opportunity to connect
0: yeah, thanks for that question, on because this might be my favorite part of the book. I hope that this is kind of what helps people, whether they love or hate public speaking. This is the part of the book that I think can kind of take them to the next level. So I sort of believe that we think of public speaking as an individual sport, right? Precisely because of what you said, John, is that we're up in our own heads And we we come up with these ideas of why we should be afraid, um, how we're failing, maybe why we're not good public speakers or whatever. But in reality, I think that there's an opportunity for public speaking to be a means of connection with other people. It's not all about us. And I think when we can move from this, this fear of like, this is all about me and me being put to the test of how I could fail. (laughs) And we can move towards what if this is an opportunity to understand my audience, to reach a group of listeners, who's trying to learn something or change or feel empowered. What if I can shift my focus to all about myself, to understanding my audience and trying to meet their needs What if I can make my audience feel like they aren't alone? You know, using that kind of thinking about sort of this generative, community-oriented growth of what public speaking can be, I get really excited about that um, as an opportunity. And it helps us take the obsession and the fear outside of ourselves
1: so it's a, it's a tool in many ways to connect with people on so many different levels. And I think yeah. there's some themes there of, of, empathy and understanding your audience and, and helping educate them and learning from yep. your own journey. Yep. Uh,
0: vulnerability too. Empathy and vulnerability are huge pieces of it. Yep.
1: Uh, that That's awesome. You know, you've talked a lot about, uh, uh well, I should say you've shared a number of examples of failure in your life, you know, uh other than the sheer volume of them in your circumstance, uh, Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you, why do you bring all these examples up for people?
0: (laughs) The sheer volume. You said it. Nothing uh, else
1: to (laughs) write about. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Really just nothing else to say. Um, No, I think what I love is that in you using the word empathy, um, I think that that's my hope as another tool to connect with my readers is I, I think it would be very easy if we all just wanted to go around and talk about all the things that are going super well in our lives. Maybe we would be really comfortable in front of others. But I, I use talking about my failures as a very genuine and authentic way to say, to, to normalize the human experience and to build trust with my audience or my reader or my listener, whoever it might be. Um, because I I wholeheartedly believe in that as a as a way of building that trust through vulnerability, um, and through empathy. So I'm trying to imagine where my reader is when I'm writing those things about like, hey, I've been there too. Listen to how ridiculous this is, and I write about a lot of my failures with you know a healthy dose of self deprecation and hopefully some humor because. I do I do laugh at a lot of them now and some of them are sort of serious you know but um I hope that it builds that trust and that comfort with the inevitable failures that we will all have in public speaking and other arenas of life
1: It's so great to untether that concept that many of us can get stuck on which is oh if I do something it has to be perfect and if oh, yeah. I fail, right? This is this kind of growth versus fixed mindset a little bit, yeah. right? Instead of being upset with ourselves for failing, we let's learn from it and see how we can yes. grow from there. And so I appreciate you taking that level of vulnerability to share with your audience to bring them in, to build trust, to help them understand that we've all been there. And it's how you, it's not that you failed, it's how you react to it, right? And that's awesome.
0: Absolutely. The mindset piece that you're talking about. And John, if I can't, you're reminding me too about this element of the book that builds on exactly what you're saying, which is we we have a tendency to look only towards experts to, to get better. So we're looking let's take public speaking as the example, because that's what we're talking about. But if we, let's say we only think about people like um, Oprah, Gary Vee, the Obamas people, we might think like, Oh, they have such swagger and confidence in their public speaking. They can talk to anyone, you know, There are great examples of things we like about great public speakers. But if we make experts who we perceive never make, you know, never mess up or, you know, never make fools of themselves or get tripped up on their words or or whatever, we are setting ourselves up for failure before we even begin, right? Because we're just thinking of like the pinnacle examples. And it's like, if I can't speak, like Oprah, then I may as well not bother. That's ridiculous. So what I propose is that we embrace our ability to to fail, however you want to define that, to mess up, to get stuck on our words, to forget our train of thought, whatever. And we look towards people around us in our community, attainable, real-life people who inspire us to be better public speakers instead of experts. So it might be someone like a minister, um, a teacher, a college instructor, you might have a bartender or, a, uh, um, or, you know, or, or a waiter that you think is a great person, just like they present themselves in the way that you would like to, um, or they speak confidently or get ideas across in those ways. And I think that helps humanize and normalize the process of becoming a more comfortable and confident public speaker or presenter in the world. That's my hope.
1: Fascinating that you, I love all the examples you shared because you can find this in so many aspects of our life. I think of right. you know, when, when we used to go to restaurants, you know, pre-pandemic <laughs> right. uh, and sit down at, I often would marvel at when, a, when there was a, a you know, you sort of don't always notice a waiter, but when they're really good and present themselves well, you take note and you remember. They're really that good, right? You know. Like, oh, yeah. What was interesting about that person? And I love that you have this broad array of, of examples there. Uh, yeah. This is this is incredible and such a powerful tool for people to one develop and learn. Is is there a particular style of public speaking you teach to or coach, or is it more about helping people find their own?
0: Mm, great question. Yeah, I think it's more about people finding their own because I do because I do think it's important to broaden the view of what how we define public speaking. I'd like for people to be able to bring their own flavor to what they do. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of great resources out there for, if you want to give a formal kind of talk, or if you want to give a Ted talk or, you know, um, persuasive speaking storytelling, I, I come from the world of storytelling. I love that. But my, I think my approach is more how to kind of embrace where you are as a public speaker and then take it to the next level, whatever that means for you, whether that's gaining more confidence whether it's normalizing that you break out in hives every time you're about to meet somebody. I mean, that's some people's real experience, you know, or whether it's you are comfortable with public speaking, but you have a feeling that there's something else out there for you and you want to connect with people more deeply. So there's a piece of the book that's accepting where you are, like it's all good. And how do we grow from there? That's
1: awesome. So it could be for anybody really, right? In that, that's right. Uh, in that respect. That's my hope. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, taking a step back from the book for a second, just thinking about this journey, you know, is there something you would say that's been an unexpected positive you found from writing this book and just going through this journey?
0: Oh, gosh, there have been so many. And at some point I need to sit down and make a list. I've thought about this a lot. Um, I think it's just one of the things that comes to mind right away is that it was a beautiful use of time and energy. and I think there are a lot of things that we do in life that um we don't give a lot of credit to because we're just enjoying them. You know, it's almost like, well, I'm not getting paid for this or I don't really know where this is going or am I allowed to spend my time and energy and resources on this if it's just something I enjoy? You know, and the answer is yes. And I don't know, I've really seen that through this book. I mean, I, I I would get obsessed with it sometimes and just write, 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 write. And then I would go through what maybe people refer to as writer's block. And I would think it was all terrible and I had to step away from it and get some space and whatever. But it's taught me so much and that I that it is totally worthwhile to invest in something that makes you feel alive, even though you don't really know exactly where it's taking you yet. And this book has been such a tangible example of that for me,
1: so hasn't uh, brought you untold wealth yet, but it's given you uh, just a very <laughs> as pa- it a,
0: likely will and a, not- a,
1: a passion project <laughs> right. to to learn and grow yourself, which is awesome, and be yes. able to share that message with others. So uh, that's a beautiful message. So yeah. Speaking of messages, you know uh, Taylor, what would you think if you were going to pin down sort of one or two key messages you think readers can take away from your book? What do you think those might be?
0: Mm. I think one huge thing for me is that I want to give people hope (laughs) that they can become a better public speaker. I just think it's so incredibly daunting that people think there's no way or that you're kind of born with it or you're not. And so, one of my key takeaways for people is that you can do this too. You know, there's a way that you can build your skills in public speaking, but also that you can work to build your confidence and your comfort. On the various stages that you take in life, regardless of where you're starting from, um, and so moving people from that um, from fear to hope is a huge takeaway from the book for me.
1: I love that, and and as we talked early on in the show, I mean, fear is such a big part of this, and realizing that if we can break through and there and have this hope and learn more about it and get better at it, we can find a way to connect and 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 you know help make the world a better place and connect with people. Uh, I'll never forget when I was in high school or college, my mom saying to me, I think I was signing up for a public speaking class and I was scared to mm-hmm. death to mm-hmm. do it. And she said, you know, if you can be a great public speaker, you can probably do anything in life. And wow. I could not agree with her more on that one. And because it is, you have to get in front of people to influence them, to yeah. help shape their behavior, to share a message. And if you can't do that effectively, uh, you're going to have a hard go at it. And it sounds like your book is is a great resource to help people get that done.
0: I completely agree. I wish I'd had that quote from your mom for the book. Maybe
1: maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe in the next one, but it, I in think the
1: hard copy cool. edition. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. That's right. Because I think that's true, John, is that like if we can, if we feel like we are um proficient public speakers, that allows us to just show up in a lot of spaces in our lives, right? And so I think your mom is right. And there's something so beautiful and rich about what you said at the, you know, the top of this recording, too, is that we're often very self-defeating and we get in our own heads and we work against ourselves. So as we're working to make a difference with others and connect with other people, it also improves our relationship with ourselves. And so um, I think there's something really beautiful about the potential for that.
1: So many strong themes in here about connecting, about improving ourselves, about facing our fears and having hope. I I love it. Uh, Great message, Taylor. If people want to learn more about you in the book, where where can they go?
0: Sure. So um, Guts and Glory GNV is the site I would send people to if they're interested more in live storytelling and sort of the craft of public speaking through those means. Um, Guts and Glory Creative Consulting.com or on social media platforms at Guts and Glory GNV. Um, yeah. And Guts and Glory GNV at gmail.com if they want to <laughs> communicate directly with me, which I would love. So. Thank and you.
1: GNV, is, basically, is that short it's, for Gainesville?
0: It is. It's Got our, it, our Gainesville code. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. A-
1: amazing, incredible story. Uh, can't wait to read more about it. Taylor, thanks for being on the show. Uh, Beyond the Words, How to Conquer Your Fear of Public Speaking and Confidently Present Yourself to the World will be available at the end of August 2021 wherever you buy books online.
0: Thank you so much, John. This was fun. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, I'm your host, John Saunders.